welcome to A Cry for Kelp with me, Nick Williams, where I interview the movers and shakers of the seaweed industry. Today, I'm talking to Wave Crooks, the founder of Seagrown, one of the UK's largest seaweed producers. Wave is an accomplished mariner who cut his teeth as a trawlerman in the North Sea before joining the Royal Navy, where he specialised as a diver. He left the service and progressed into the offshore industry, working as a saturation diver in the North Sea and worldwide, as well as being desk officer for the British Antarctic Survey, where he met his partner, Laura, and they came up with Seagrown. They're based in Scarborough in the northeast of the UK, where they have two big boats, Bright Blue, their workboat, and Southern Star, where they have a seaweed hatchery, cafe, shop and visitor centre on board. So not only does Seagrown cultivate seaweed, process it, make products themselves and educate people, they also sell raw seaweed to other companies and provide consultancy services to budding seaweed farmers. We had a fascinating conversation about what it takes to be a seaweed farmer, his goals for Seagrown and why he's taken on so many elements of the value chain at the same time. So, without further ado, let's hear from Wave. Hi, Wave. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you very much. Where do we find you this uh, this balmy afternoon? Well, I'm just looking out the window at the lovely sunny Yorkshire coast, actually. It's beautiful today. How delightful. Lucky you. So, I'm going to dive right in. You've had a really interesting and quite a varied career, mainly at sea. When did you come across seaweeds in the first place and its potential? And also, specifically, what potential was that? Was it fighting climate change or the fact that there's loads of potential products out of it or a bit of both? Well, I mean, we've all, anybody who grew up on the coast, especially around on the Yorkshire coast here, you'll be very familiar with seaweed. Um, we've been slithering around on rocks and, um, you know, the, the smell of it, low water as it dries out. It, it's very familiar to a lot of people. But um, I had absolutely no idea um, about the potential of it, really, um, until I met Laura, really, um, a few years ago now, um, back in 2016. Um, and we discussed it. And um, I thought, well, actually, this stuff sounds pretty clever stuff. It's very versatile. And it can do all sorts of things. Um, and that's when we started to get interested in it and learn a little bit more about it. Um, and actually, it was a bit of both. It was the... Um, the sort of clever little seaweed products that you can make from this stuff, very much underutilized for that sort of industry. But I think the bigger picture is very, very important about its potential to fight climate change. Absolutely right. Yeah, definitely. So you and your partner, Laura, this is in Antarctica, right? You're sitting on a ship in Antarctica and you start thinking, maybe there's something here to start a business over. Paint a picture for me of that sort of aha moment when you decided you're going to make seaweed your future. Yeah, I mean, I, I was working for British Antarctic Survey directly. Um, I was the navigator of um, a ship called the James Clark Ross. Big red thing, breaks the ice, does scientific research and resupplies the Antarctic bases down there. We did a bit of all sorts. About every 28 days or so, we would get more, a, a different bunch of scientists would arrive um, and we'd embark on what, whatever the latest expedition this month was. And it was varied. We used to do all kinds of different things. Um one of the expeditions that turned up, um, Laura was one of the senior scientists, and I was working quite closely with that bunch of scientists because I had to make sure that the ship was in the right place at the right time, ready to do the right thing. They were doing lots of um, things like benthic trawling in the Weddell Sea and all, all kinds of other things that we needed to make sure we were in the right place at the right time, right kit, ready to go in the water. That was my job. So we were liaising uh, on that. And of course, you know, I, I was spending probably nine months out of every year down in the ice and the dark um, in Antarctica. Um, and 
I um, when we got back to the UK, we, we we started to discuss perhaps starting a business when we got home that would pool our expertise. So marine ops and subsea ops for myself, and marine science for Laura. And actually, when you look at that, the um, the list of, of businesses you could start with your own resources um, that would pull that expertise, it's not very long. Um, so we did some research and we found that seaweed farming was a good answer because we could do some good in the wider sense at the same time as producing a, a useful commodity and having quite an interesting life. So we decided to give it a go. Lovely. And uh, I'm just interested, so this, what year is this, remind me? This was 2016. So what's this? I mean, this is it's mad that it's we're saying this is six years ago now. But what is the what was the seaweed industry in the UK looking like? There was it. I mean, it's still pretty nascent, but I imagine it was even less so. There wasn't quite the same hype around it. I don't want to do anyone a disservice, but um, at the time of us discussing this and thinking we'd give it a go, I had never heard of anybody doing it at all. Um, I'd never come across it before in my life. Um, so, so, but I'm, I'm, there may well have been um, a small number of, of, of operators um, working working seaweed farms at that time, but I personally had never heard of them at all. And I do believe that we were among the first ones to get it going. Really, let's talk about that then. So, how do you get it going? So, you pick the northeast first. I think that's just because that's where you're from, or was there something specific about about Yorkshire that you that you thought had had potential? Yeah, um, I am from here, um, as you can probably hear. Yeah. But um, I, I knew that it had potential because I'm very familiar. I, I used to be a fisherman from Scarborough, working off in the North Sea, up in Scotland, and the Southern North Sea, all over the place, really. Uh, and I knew the coastline very well um, for that reason. And also through crewing on the on the local lifeboat, I was quite familiar with the, the, the patch. And I knew that there was a lot of seaweed growing naturally. So I thought, well, if it grows naturally, it will uh, very likely grow, you know, in, on, in, in a farm setting. The water conditions, et cetera, must be correct. And of course, I knew quite a few people in the local community, uh, the local business community, and it meant that I had some good connections we could draw on. Uh, and it seemed a logical place to put the business, really. I see. And uh, when I was doing my research for, the, for our conversation, I, you know, I see a lot that you you are one of the only large scale seaweed farms in the UK. Can you just give the listeners a perspective? What what does large scale seaweed look like in terms of acreage or kilometerage? I don't know what the right term. Oh, is. Our our license. It's all about the licensed site. You can only farm seaweed on licensed uh, sites, licensed by the government and by the Crown Estate. Um, our license is for uh, 25 hectares, which is, I'm, I'm led to believe, quite a, uh, a large site. And I think it is the largest licensed seaweed site in the UK. Yeah. Um, you, you can't just do anything in your licensed site. It, you are licensed for an activity. And in our case, that is seaweed farming. And I think that 25 hectares, which I think 66, 67 acres, something like that, is the largest seaweed site in the UK. Right. Okay, well, that, is, that does sound huge, uh, humongous. And now, now take us back. So, so you're starting this. What, how did you go about starting it? Did you get any public money or did you get any private money? I know that you did this uh, this crowdfunding campaign, and that got you to, to an extra fourteen kilometres. But was there anything yeah. pre the crowdfunding that you've done? Yeah, the um, the we 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 originally started wild harvesting seaweed to get the business going. Um, and um, that just allowed us to make our first sort of retail and wholesale products from seaweed. But in doing so, we learned a lot about what grows where at what time of year and what you can use it for. There was never a week went by that there wasn't another ingenious use for seaweed discovered yeah. by somebody somewhere. Yeah. So we thought, right, we need to go industrial. We cannot keep harvesting this seaweed um, in a sustainable fashion 
if we're going to go achieve the sort of production levels that we're going to need to to hit the industrial targets. Um, so we thought, right, we're going to have to go farming. Um, and we looked into how you actually achieve that. I had some insight into it because of my um, uh, time at sea, really, uh, knowing how the how the sea is used commercially. Mm-hmm. We made the right applications to the government. We staffed them very carefully and we got them through. Um, the license was approved and, um, yeah, off we went. But uh, we were careful to work with the local water users various the fishing community mm. the sailing community um the the shipping um the, the, the shipping routes etc to, to stay clear of everybody else and make sure that we put our farm or applied to put our farm in a sensible location and uh we were lucky enough to get the license granted and off we went so um so yeah it was um it was a long road to get to be able to actually farm um but we we got there then we thought right well we need to start employing people now we need to create a business here where where you know we can create sustainable jobs in a deprived coastal community which we do live in yeah. uh, so we applied to the coastal communities fund which is exactly for that purpose it is for creating jobs in coastal communities where previously there were none yeah. um so we were lucky enough to be awarded some funding seed funding really to take on our first staff um and buy some kit uh, from the Coastal Communities Fund, and we grew the business from there, really. We did do the crowdfunder, as you said. Um, that was a boost that we needed post-COVID and a time when we were ready to put more equipment into the sea because we'd worked hard through the COVID shutdown to keep ourselves um, keep ourselves sharp, keep the processes running, keep the people engaged. So post-COVID, we were ready to put more kit into the water, um, and we used the crowdfunder to fund that um, and that was it was an interesting experience, really. But otherwise, we are self-funded. Um, we've you know we've invested our own money and we've worked hard and we've got some some very understanding family and friends. Huh. Indeed, indeed. So that's really interesting. So, so the coastal community funds were the first people to put some some cash in. Does that what's that process like? Is it does it take uh, you know public money is, is always tricky to get hold because it's often all it's often match funded. Is that right? You need to bring something to the party. They're not just going to give you cash. Often it is um, the the coastal communities fund actually wasn't match funding, um, and it's not. I don't know in the same in the in the normal definition of public funding, it is slightly different because it's the revenue. It's a, it's a sort of clawback of revenue from the crown estate that uh, oh. the crown estate has gained through coastal projects. They very kindly choose to sort of reinvest um, some of their revenue from coastal projects to to start and promote new coastal projects and create jobs on the coast. So really, we were pretty tailor made for that. It was quite a quite a hard process to get through. It was quite onerous in terms of a big, big, big application form to fill in. Lots of information needed, um, but you know, we um, got our heads down, got on with it, and gave them what they needed. And um, they thought that the project was worth um, worth funding. So we were happy. Ah, well, congratulations, and and the rest is is history. So you've, now you've got not only are you farming seaweed, but you've got a seaweed hatchery. Uh, you're growing it. You're selling some of the seaweeds to other people. You're making use of some of the seaweed with your seasonings and your bath salts. You've got the sea grown center, and you're doing some consultancy. So it really is vertically integrated. Your model, isn't it? And I, I think that's awesome. I, I spoke uh, to to Rob Passmore down in Biosphere North Devon, who's doing trying to do similar. But it's a lot. And why not just focus on on growing and selling and simplify it? What what made you do so many different facets? 
um, as, as we were discussing earlier, um, when we started Seagrown, we didn't really, well, there, there wasn't, let's face it, there wasn't a, um, a sort of, uh, recognizable seaweed industry, supply chain, processing sector, um, production sector. It wasn't like that at all. So it, to use the old adage, if you want something doing, do it yourself. And right. we thought, well, we can't wait for the industry to stand up and, um, and, you know, become slightly a lot more organized and, and, and the supply chain more developed. We're just going to have to do it ourselves. So we, well, we cracked on and did it ourselves. Yeah. We, we, we thought we can, we put some effort into each of those areas. Um, and now we've, we've, you know, we will have a, we're not fully vertically integrated. Of course, we need support from contractors and various people, but pretty much we can produce seaweed. We can process the seaweed and make it into products and sell it on. And that's what we set out to do. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we thought it was the best way at the time because there was really not much support to call on in terms of service. Um, service and support industries to the seaweed sector. Yeah, well, bravo again. That's I salute you, sir. It's very impressive, and um, I'm most interested, I think, by the, by the fact that you're doing some of your own processing because it is an, uh, it's the theme amongst all of my uh, with all my guests is you know, it's the conundrum that when we can solve the processing conundrum, we can potentially you know the, the rapid expansion of the of the industry is on our doorstep, but. Uh, I, I'm interested. What can you tell us about the way you go about processing seaweed? What do you think the future of processing is? Is that the way you would like to focus your business? Just give me your perspective on, on processing. Yeah, I mean, our processing is probably, it's fair to say it's done at art- artisanal level, really. Right. We're, we're not processing 100 tonnes of seaweed at once. We don't own a huge shining processing plant on some industrial estate somewhere. Yeah. Um, and actually, the knowledge of of the techniques that you need to process seaweed the only way that we could get that knowledge was to is trial and error we we had to find equipment that worked find processes that worked and then get that accredited by <clears throat> excuse me by the um you know the local authority the environmental health people make sure that we are we are doing things correctly so in a nutshell we harvest the seaweed we sort and wash the seaweed very thoroughly um we remove any allergens then we dry it, we mill it, and we blend it in different ways for different products. Um, or at that point, we can we can sell it on to um, to you know third party users. Um, the equipment that we use to do that is literally um, hard won commercial knowledge. So I'm not going to go into that too much here. But sure. um, it's um, it's done at artisanal level, and we had to work hard and put our thinking caps on, which we really enjoyed mm. um, in order to find the west the method the methods that work the best. Um, I put a few problems to the um, commercial food processing sector um, and had some very, excuse me, some very amusing meetings with uh, salespeople from various uh, very reputable, actually, equipment manufacturers who swore blind that their kit would be able to process seaweed. But actually, when they came to visit, not true at all. Um, Smoke came out. The, the thing was, you know, running red hot and, um, yeah, he couldn't do it really. So back to the drawing board, think again and, um, and come up with an answer that does work. But Laura and I, we respond to challenges like that and we found a way of, of doing it really in the end. Um, I don't think that mass processing is the future for us, but what I would like to see is that, um, such as in other, in other food production or other, um, biomass production, uh, sectors, there are separate processing companies that do own large shiny industrial facilities that can take large volumes of uh, of product 
And I think regional hubs of that nature probably is going to be the way forward. Um, but that does not, it just simply doesn't exist at the moment. The only way we could do it was to do it ourselves. So we set ourselves up on a, on a smaller scale. It's still shiny. It's still clean. It's as professional as it can be. But, um, you know, it's a smaller scale. And I don't think we could take, let's say, 10 seaweed farms output as opposed to just our own. So I think regional hubs, big, shiny industrial facilities would be very welcome. And I can see that being the future, really. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and for the, the the products, you've chosen seasonings and bath products. What was that? That was the first product, wasn't it? That was the first idea. Or was or was there something else you did initially? Yes, the food seasonings were the first things we did, um, and that was a conscious decision, really, because we wanted to want to get seaweed onto the kitchen shelf in the UK. We wanted to get it into people's um, people's diets and people's thinking, really. And we knew that a a, a large plate of wet kelp wasn't <laughs> going to be the answer to that question. Um, yeah. We you might you might you know in Asia people eat far more seaweed than we eat here in northwestern Europe, and even in other parts of northwestern Europe, they're eating more than we are in the UK. Yeah. So we knew we had to take it steady and um, produce a product that people could recognise. They knew what to do with it. Um, and they could play with it, really. And that has been very, very popular. So I'm pleased we did do that. We also found in making that that um, even hands like mine um, become soft when you're working with seaweed. So it's therefore got some good skincare properties, and that's widely known in the cosmetic sector. Um, so it, it obviously it was a, a bit of a no-brainer, really, to to have a have a crack at some bath products too. So we we did that also. But uh, there's a surprising amount of work in introducing new product lines to the market. It takes a lot of um, R&D and a lot of uh, work around the fringes in marketing and packaging and getting accreditation and certification all sorted out, not not least the production of those products. Mm. So they do take time. And uh, we were careful to try anyway, not to overstretch ourselves by having too much of a, an inventory um, of products, really. And I think we've just about got that right. The seasonings and the bath products are very popular. And we're now starting to expand outwards, which is going to be a good sign. Uh, well, can you give us uh, a hint, or you, is that still under? Is, uh, no, not at all. Toxic, as you say, no, no, not at all. No, not at all. We're about to release um, some uh, some more bath products in terms of seaweed soaps. Uh, we've 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 ter- team, teamed up with a local artisanal soap producer who makes some great products, and um, she's uh, from a company called Cozy Cottage in Moulton, just near Scarborough. Um, they use all natural um, ingredients to make really classy um, bath products. So we're teaming up with them to make some ba- some bath soap and some um, moisturising creams, various, uh, and other, other bath products. So we'll be coming down the tracks uh, eventually. We're also brewing our own beer now. Um, we're working with a, another local brewery to make Hold Fast, which is our, our own brew of um, seaweed beer. And that actually is one of the most popular products that we sell in the um, uh, at the Seaground Centre on our on our ship, One Southern Star. Another brewery is also using it to make um, to make beer. We've had it turned into gin, vodka. Uh, what else have we had? Rum. Um, many many different rum. alcoholic drinks. Uh, cheese makers are using it. Um, it's, it goes all over the place, so um, it's very versatile, and uh, the the list is endless of uh, products that we could roll out. But um, you know, we're <laughs> there are only twenty four hours in a day, unfortunately. No, of course, I understand. And outside of your products, so you, you're also you're processing some of the seaweed for your own for your own products, but you're also selling some of those uh, some of that processed seaweed 
to other companies. Um, uh, you don't have to tell me who they are necessarily, but what I'm interested in, of all of the companies that you do sell to, or the other companies that are out there doing interesting CV products, which one do you have high hopes for beyond like the food and bath products? Is it, is it the plastics or is it, is it the pharmaceuticals? Is it cosmetics? Is it textiles? What, what's your perspective? Um, as a seaweed farmer, what I would like to do is sell all of the seaweed that we produce into the highest value sector possible, really, um, because it's a hard commercial decision. Um, the, the, the highest value sectors really are around the sort of pharmaceutical area, mm. um, but the demand in that sector is a lot lower than it would be in, um, in, a, in, a, in a volume sector such as plastics or such as uh, fertilizers or soil enhancers, various. So, I, I actually, I think that um, the, the seaweed plastics industry, like the seaweed farming industry, is very nascent. Um, it's got a long way to go, but there's certainly a lot of um, a lot of interest in that from the general public because people are now aware that plastic, single-use plastic, and plastic that's badly disposed of is a problem. It's a great, great material, but um, we've got to dispose of it correctly and use it intelligently. Um, so I've got high hopes for that sector, and we absolutely do intend to uh, to work with the the producers in that sector to supply them with the raw material that they need. Um, I don't see that um, seaweed biofuel is is really uh, where we're going because even at the current rates, the uh, cost of hydrocarbons is um, it's more economical to use hydrocarbons than it is to extract uh, fuel from seaweed, although it can be done, and who knows where that market's going to go. Um, we've had a lot of interest from the farming community. Um, the meat and dairy industry are very, very keen to um, to lower their environmental impact as much as possible, and I think it's pretty common knowledge now that uh, that, that industry is quite a large emitter of greenhouse Ooh. gases. Yeah. Um, so if we can help those guys, um, you know, reduce that, Im that impact, that, that footprint as far as possible, then we're very, very happy to do so because, you know, we, we like um, a pint of milk or a steak as much as anybody else does. Um, so we do need the farmers to be able to farm. And if we can facilitate that, then that's that's also good. There are all kinds of sectors we could target, but I think probably they are the major ones. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I have heard that too. I think biostimulants as uh, fertilizers, but also as feed, animal feed. I've also heard of it uh, as an aquaculture feed because aquaculture is growing at a rate of knots. And uh, did you know something like th a third of the fish that is, is farmed is used for feed for fish? I haven't heard that. Yeah, yeah. Which, and which it's um, madness to me. But, it um, can be quite a wasteful way and uh, it has a, a high environmental impact. So if yeah. we could streamline that, just like land farming, that would also be something we'd be interested in, of course. So let's talk about that. So, so that would be the ideal future is that you're selling all your uh, farm seaweed to, to great innovative products. Now, you've got this amazing government contract to, to do something exciting to upscale the, the renewable. I believe it's the renewable energy, including biomass industry. You've got two and a half, no, 2.8 million pounds. Can you tell me a bit more about that? That sounds fantastic. This is going to, this is a game changer, right? Um, it could be, it could be. That's the idea. Um, we were, we were very, very pleased to be awarded, um, this contract from, um, Bayes, the government department Bayes. Um, and they're interested in biomass feedstocks. Um, they're interested in biomass feedstocks for energy purposes and also for, um, um, any contribution we can make towards net zero. So absorbing carbon dioxide, basically. Um, 
Seaweed is good for both of those things. It's good for um, uh, as, as an energy crop, but it's also good as um, a, a carbon crop. In fact, I, I think that the carbon crop is really where it's going, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but the, the reason why the government have contracted us to produce the biomass is because we are developing a mechanised system for doing so. And uh, it's not all about developing seagrown this. It's about developing a capability for the UK to be able to produce marine biomass in an area where currently there is nothing. And that's that's the offshore area. Mm. So when we grow the seaweed, we don't need we need very no inputs. We need, we need no fresh water. We need no power, chemicals, fertilizers. And above all, we don't need any land. So the debate about is it um, food versus fuel or food versus carbon crops on land um, when, you know, we, we might need a field to grow wheat in to uh, feed a growing population. So why not grow the carbon crops offshore where there's nothing? That's what the government are interested in, uh, producing a capability to do that. So our job is to come up with a system, an end-to-end system of farming seaweed right from the seed, right to harvesting it and all of the stages in between. So we're working hard over the next three years to mechanise uh, and automate that process because currently seaweed farming is not automated. It's very, very labour intensive. It's prone to failure um, and it's very difficult to achieve in the offshore environment as opposed to sort of shallow sheltered water where you could do it slightly differently. We've devised a method of farming the seaweed that can look after itself in the offshore world. And we're also uh, designing and producing a uh, a hydraulic deck handling system that goes on the deck of the workboat to um, to operate this kit in the water and out of the water, seed it, and then strip the seaweed off at the end. Um, so that's the idea over the next three years. And after that, we will be um, offering UK farmers and worldwide farmers who are, who are interested in entering the industry uh, an end-to-end solution to farm this stuff offshore um, or inshore. It doesn't matter. You could, it certainly would work inshore as well, in sheltered water, but it is capable of standing up to the offshore world. And I think that is a step change and it's something that we need to do. If you think back to the labour-intensive farming we used to do in medieval times on the land, well, that's pretty much seaweed farming. It's done by hand and it's, it's very, very sort of manually intensive. We need to automate. We need to get into tractors and combine harvesters and do the same thing offshore that we're doing onshore and produce some proper biomass. And I think that that's, that's the idea of the contract. And so uh, what's the five-year plan? When do you think, how, how, uh, you know, when, when are we going to start seeing these, these innovative uh, solutions in, in play? Is it already happening now or is it uh, you've got a bit of time to, on the R&D side to get there? Yeah, we, we do. We do still have um, a lot of R&D left to do on that. But we are still we are using our um, our own method. We are um, farming seaweed in an offshore open water setting right now. And we have been doing all the way through the last winter um, in Storm Arwen last year, 28th of November. I remember it well. We had uh, 13 metre waves on our um, our farm site on that night. It was a Saturday night. It was horrid. Wow. Um, and the gear survived that. And it's still growing seaweed. So um, it's had a good test. But we do want to, you know, we want a product we're going to be proud of and that's going to work reliably and repeatably. Um, so we've got the next um, two and a half years to really refine that. Then over the following 18 months to two years, we'll be taking it to market in a commercial sense um, and um, all that goes with that. So <laughs> we've got our work out for us. But in, in five years from now, 
we will be able to offer, um, and we will we will be offering um, a end-to-end seaweed farming system to the UK and the rest of the world. Um, and we'll need all the um, systems and the people and the kit that goes with that. Who are your competitors then? I mean, there, there must be other countries already looking at this, you know, mass farming of seaweed already. Or is it really are the Brits being the pioneers? Because I heard something about, is it a Dutch company, North Sea Farmers, doing something similar? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we 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 certainly don't have the world monopoly on this at all. Um, yeah. But we're trying to be slightly more um, nuanced, if you like. Uh, we've got a system that is more accessible to smaller vessels inshore as well as um, larger vessels offshore. So if you're in your under 10 metre fishing vessel, you could choose to diversify into seaweed using our system. Um, as well as catch your lobsters or whatever else you're catching during the, your main catching period. Yeah. S- similarly, if you've got a large offshore support vessel uh, and an area of sea that you want to actually farm some seaweed in, either to offset your other operations or as an, a standalone operation to farm that seaweed, um, we need a system that we can scale up that will be able to handle that sort of industrial use as well. And we think we've got that with this system. Um, it looks like the uh, the Dutch one looks very good. You know, absolutely nothing against that system at all. It, it looks fascinating. It looks capable, but it looks big. Um, and it looks like it will need big areas of water to operate in. And if you've got a complicated shape or you've got um, environmental features like coral reefs or industrial features like pipelines or yeah. export cables or anything else that you've got to work around, having big, big, big kit like that is more difficult than if you've got something that's agile, scalable, and um, you can tailor it to the environment it's working in. And that's where we're going. Well, I wish you the very best of luck with it. Before, as, as I close out, I'd love to know, what, what do you think, you know, that people listening to this podcast will be like, well, that's exciting. I want to get into this industry. What do you hope people know about this industry before they throw themselves headlong into it? We do speak to a lot of people, an encouraging number of people who want to enter the industry for all the right reasons. They're not entering because they want to make millions and millions of pounds from it. They're entering because they want to make a difference, make a living and improve the environment that we all live in and do the the things that we need to be doing. So I applaud that. But we also get a lot of people that we, we we talk to that don't have the necessary skill sets within their business setup. They're very well intentioned. But if yeah. they could partner with people who had, for instance, the marine knowledge or the scientific knowledge that you need to achieve this effectively, then they'd be better off. And so we found that, that is, um, that's a, an area that we can help. We can partner with folk um, and we can offer them this system that we're developing uh, because often the guys that want to get into this don't have the, uh, the prior experience or the skill set that you need to start from scratch. Um, they need to let Seagrown do that and come and see us and see how we can help. And that's where I think we'll be going in the future. We'll facilitate seaweed farming. Lovely. Can't wait. And last question I always ask, are, are you guys hiring? And what are you looking for? Yeah, we are. Uh, everybody's hiring, aren't they, at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. We're, uh, we're currently recruiting deck crew, um, marine engineers, um, and also um, hatchery team. Um, we, you know, we're... we're we're scaling up in all departments at the moment. Um, so we're, we're looking for specialist people on the marine and the scientific side. Um, so, yeah, if anybody's interested in working in the seaweed industry, you need to contact Seagram because we've got a job for you. Ah. And I take it they just go onto the website and there's the vacancies there or should I just email uh, your email address? Yeah, yeah. There's an email address on the website. That's um, all, all the W's, seagrown.co.uk. If you go on there and pick up the email address, it's on there, which would be hello at seagrown. 
Um, then send us your details and we'll come back to you. Brilliant. There you go, guys. You've heard it here. Well, Wave, this has been grand. I'm so impressed with what you've done in the past and what you're going to do in the future. I can't wait to hear how this all goes. We definitely need to get you back on, uh, yeah, certainly next year when we, uh, as this uh, project progresses. So thanks so much for your time, sir. No problem at all. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you.